Alright, let's get this over with because I need to go the time. Hello, my darlings, and welcome to the first face-to-face Big Damn cast of 2018. Finally, I, Big Damn Matt, and he... That's Big Damn Chris, for those following along at home. We are reunited in the same room and playing our funny games. Sorry, sorry. So, the panto run hadn't finished. You just kidnapped me, Chris. I, I just needed you. Oh God, I, no! I needed you. Oh God, why is that on the table? Um, please don't make me eat it. As promised last episode, we are of course going to catch up on some emails and dig right into Doctor Who: Twice Upon a Time, yeah. the Christmas special. In scare quotes. Um, <laughs> well, it was certainly special. Uh, yes. Um, um, yes. But before that, let's have a quick little catch up. What's been going on in the world, Christopher? Now that you in, in the world, oh, God, God, such a such a wide net. Um, you know when you know when we all went, oh, twenty eighteen is going to be better because you know we can <laughs> we can do better. And then it's just not got off to a great start, has it? Really? Nah, um, nah, fam, nah, fam. I mean, Fire and Fury's been published, so I suppose. Yeah, that's 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 more juicy, but it's not exactly inspiring. We've had another four or five men in the entertainment world um, revealed yeah. as as either scoundrels or possible scoundrels. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's 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 fun, including some people whose work we we quite like. Hmm. Um, Although at least one of them is having an entire legal team already going. This is bullshit, yeah. which which inspires a little more hope than the other cases. Because at least this time it seems like that might actually be a horrible extortion yeah. thing being pulled on an elderly gentleman with you a lot of money. You don't go to court yeah. if you haven't got a case. Yeah. Unless you've got an awful lot of money. Yeah. Which, you know... I mean, he does. does have quite but... a bit of money, so... Well, he, you know, no. Do you know what? Let's, let's not even... Let's, let's, let's touch on this one briefly. The Stanley no, News... No, don't. You'll get in trouble. Oh, God. The Stanley Sorry. News... Sorry. Um, yeah, Stanley. If you if you only read news headlines through Twitter moments and not through reading the moment or researching itself, you may think this week that Stanley has been accused of sexual misconduct, and that is that. Uh, well, he re- has been accused. Of sexual he misconduct. has been accused of sexual misconduct, but when you read into it, he has not been um, legally or formally um, charged or accused of sexual misconduct. What's happened is a nursing company who looks after him. Used have, to look after him. Oh, uh, no, no, the, I think these are the current ones. It's no, previ- it's previous oh, ones. Oh, it's previous one. Okay. Oh, that's right, yeah. The current ones released yeah. a statement. The current ones released a statement saying, great. this guy's lovely, what are you talking about? Yeah. Uh, the previous one has released a statement saying, no, he, he uh, made inappropriate comments and uh, flirted, like, sort of, despite being told not to anymore, with several of our staff members. I think he asked. They felt unsafe. One of them said that he asked him, asked them to partake in a sexual act. Yeah. Um, but, no nurses who work from the company have made any statements. It's just the company itself. They have not contacted contacted the police or any legal body themselves. And according to Stanley's lawyers, the first person they got in touch with was Stanley's lawyers yeah. to say, "If you pay us compensation, we won't take it any further." And then when they refused, they took it straight to the Daily Mail. Yeah. So I'm not say I'm not saying I disbelieve potential victims here but in unlike many other cases this one seems a little fishy yeah that's a, that's a strange sort of setup which screams yeah. 
oh, <clears throat> money, rather than like, oh, yeah. truth. And again, as, as someone else has yeah. pointed out, like, obviously, it depends on the climate and, and the power of the, of the men and women who have been accused of these things over the decades. Yeah. But it does seem odd that for a man who's been in his profession for roughly 70 years, only now, in the wake of a bunch of celeb thingies, would this happen? Especially when, especially when it's ahead of a very successful financial year for him and his like sort of affiliates, and also, and also the fact that it wasn't formally filed as a as a complaint against him through the police or anything. It was done as a well, if you pay us, we we'll won't bother you anymore. It's yeah. like mm, doesn't sound like you're trying to point out a known harasser. It kind of sounds like you're saying, "Give us some money, old man, and we won't make your life a living hell." Also, also- I hope that's. I, I hope neither is the case. I hope it's all a misunderstanding and everybody's completely innocent. Yes. But it does sort of sound like an extortion thing has gone wrong and now they're trying to make it massive in the hopes of him or his people paying them to just shut up and leave him alone. Yeah. Because he's 95 and doesn't need to be dealing with this shit if he is indeed innocent. Really not fun. Uh, I mean, it's, 2018 it's, sucks nuts. It's weird that no one ever come forward in the 70 odd years he's been in the business when... I thought that being said, how long did it take for DC to fire Eddie Beganza? Yeah, when true. it was an open secret that he was <clears throat> not even a secret, like it was common knowledge that that guy was like har- a, a serial yeah. sexual harasser. But it wasn't until November, just gone. Yeah, that, that they finally of, let him go. But, but that, that was in the wave of, of lots of other accusations for other people. Like Harvey Weinstein, obviously, yeah, was the one yeah. that started the snowball rolling. Um, people obviously found courage in others coming out about stuff and were able to sort of take things further than they comfortably felt they could before. However, the Stan Lee thing, unlike pretty much every other case, unlike your Spaceys and your Andy Signors and things like that, it's come out that the second place they've gone is the press. The first was privately making them like sit down and consider giving them money to shut them up. Whereas all the others have been more a case of you know, I like like the like the you know the, the the movements that have risen up, times up and me too and everything. Their their, their thing has been about yeah. yeah. Now it's time to hold these people accountable and show that they shouldn't be getting away with this shit. It's time to take back some justice that for various reasons people were not able to get either because they felt uncomfortable or they you know they 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 were overpowered. It was it was a damaging situation. It was traumatic for them. In this instance, it sounds like a couple of nasty people who run a company have decided to steal some money off an old man by threatening threatening with breaking something on him. Yeah. Now, it could be true. We don't know. But considering, like, the message of all these other outings has been people are finally showing support and I feel comfortable enough to say this. Yeah. Whereas this one has been, this old man touched us and he won't give us money for it. It feels yeah. really... It feels really gross in comparison. I mean, obviously, the actual thing that's being accused is really freaking gross, too. Yeah, I mean... I mean, let's be honest. You should never rate horrible things. It's obviously not as severe case as, say, like, the Weinstein, the Lucy case. It's not a competition. It's not a a competition, but at the same time... It feels like a race to the bottom sometimes, but it's it's not a competition. It's not a competition, but but it it is, like... You know, on a scale of horrific acts, it sounds like the worst thing that happened, if it did indeed happen, was an old man who's probably feeling very lonely made an inappropriate request. I'd be careful request. to use yeah. that as an excuse, though. I mean, no, I'm not, not. I'm not. It doesn't excuse it. No if it, is, it does not excuse it if it's true. But what I'm saying is, is like, you think that'd be yeah. something that if it was indeed in someone's best interest to go, yeah, you're right. Like this sort of shit needs to end now. They would come forward and go, even he said this to me. This is not right. 
Instead, what they're doing is give us money, old man, and it just feels a bit horrible. I mean, I mean, I mean not you know, it's 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 there is no nice way to think about any of this stuff. No. I think we both and a lot of our listeners, I assume, and obviously a lot more people around the planet, hope that it is indeed not true. Yeah, and I doubly hope that it's not only not true, but that it's all a misunderstanding on the behalf of the nursing place, and it's not some people trying to be vindictive and and preying on on an elderly rich man. But regardless, uh, regardless of that, this whole thing, all these things have been coming out of the last few mm. months. The main thing that I'm taking away from it is that I'm really. Pardon me, beer. Um, <laughs> beer fun. Beer fun. Um, is that we don't endorse drinking, but it is great. I, I mean, I endorse drinking. Just you know, be, be an adult about it, will you? Um, <laughs> be responsible. Um, so Thank yeah, you. the main thing that's come out of all this stuff is is that it has shaken some shit loose, yeah. and the win the winnings are should, dropping. Yeah, things have come to light that should have come to light ages ago. Fucking years ago, decades yeah. ago, yeah, and people should have been punished for then. And people have had, people have already had careers and already had that success that they didn't deserve because they, because of what they did to people to get there, you know. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's 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 it sucks that it's taken so long, but at least some people now are finally getting named and shamed, except uh, for Roman Polanski and Woody. Um, Woody Allen. Woody Allen. No one will speak out against these two well-known harassers and abusers. I think Woody Allen has a lot more power than I think we even know, uh, because the closest to it being uh, a thing where someone has spoken out about him recently was Emma Stone a few days ago. Yeah, made a statement where she was doing a press conference and talking about specifically talking about Me Too and everything. Yeah, um, she made a statement where she basically said like, "There are decisions she regrets professionally." she regrets them deeply, not because she thinks it was a bad move professionally, but because on reflection was the experience worth supporting people she feels should not have been supported. Um, yeah. So without saying his name, she's pointing it cause she worked with Woody Allen. Yeah. And it's like, why don't you just say it? Just say, I regret working with the specific director. I mean, even just that I regret well, working, with, but who knows? Greta like, Gerwig was asked about it. At the Greta Golden Gerwig. Golds yeah. Just completely dodged the question. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's that's upsetting because it's like, why these? Like, it's a shame these people feel like they can't talk about it. It's just, it's just. But frustrating then that we people, don't know exactly yeah. the extent of it. I mean, look at Spacey. Like, oh, there had been whispers in the acting world, obviously, and there had been people who told sort of first-hand accounts. I'd heard, I'd heard of stuff yeah, from but, from people I've known. But of course, legally, you can't do anything about that unless you've been in the room and you can back it up. But also, considering how far back it goes and how many people he, unfortunate wording touched with his indecency like it's that's not the nickname for his penis no it's horrible like it, it, you, it there's obviously a level of power at play here that people unavoidably like were stopped by yeah um yeah. and know, that's but, that's shocking but, yeah but, but last this, word last word about this before we move on to something lighter <clears throat> if not better yeah um <laughs> Oh no! Yes, <laughs> on on the subject of Kevin Spacey. Um, so you know the um, the John Paul Getty movie, the, yeah, uh, all the money in the world. All the money in the world. Yes, the that one was... where they reshot all of the character scenes with Christopher Plummer in a three week period, running up to the final edit of the movie, and then the release. Whole of a nine day shooting. Yeah. Um, it's <laughs> been made quite public that that Michelle Williams didn't didn't get paid anything really in comparison. Reshoots. 
to yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Came out, I think, yesterday that Mark Wahlberg got paid $1.5 for reshooting his mm. scenes. So either Michelle Williams has voluntarily gone without payment mm. and um, Mark Wahlberg is just a selfish mm. prick. Or... Wahlberg has a ruthless agent. They have the same agency. Oh, oh, I did not know that. Yeah, the same agency. That is fucking disgusting. So, yeah, what the fuck's going on there? Can we talk about quality in Hollywood again? Let's not get into it on this podcast. We'll get into it now. Yeah, you're right. Um, I mean, final word on this for now, but I think this is a year where we're probably going to touch a little more occasionally on stories like this because this shit does need to keep being talked about. And unfortunately, 2018 seems to be a year already where serious shit comes into play yeah. and it needs to be discussed, even on our silly little distractions. This is but going to be important going forward. Moving on, from, moving, on. moving on from creepy old men saying weirdly sexual and inappropriate things to young women. Twice upon a time... Oh. Um, <laughs> um, our experiences... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm just going to egotistically pat myself on the back for that fucking beautiful uh, segue. That was, that was gorgeous. Um, um, ding dong, uh, the era's dead. Um, yeah. Let's, I mean, our experiences on the day. Should we, let's talk about our experiences on the day. Well, first of all, our experiences with Doctor Who Christmas specials have been well documented on this show. Yeah. In general. <laughs> I think um, it's known that we pretty much looked forward to them for the better part of about seven years. Yeah. And then, well, I mean, you can you can go back and listen to your nine is ten, yeah, um, Christmas Invasion, hey. yeah. and um, I still keep yeah, at some about point when you do ten is ten, I'm like, I did one, leave me alone, yeah, and also that we're past that point, now. yeah, uh, <laughs> we're past, we're way past that point. Um, uh, we might come back. No, we're not going to come back. Ten is twelve has never ring to it. Ten is fifteen is not happening, um, <laughs> except uh, unless it is. Um, <laughs> it's not. Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so what, what was the point for you that Christmas specials stopped being something to look forward to? Um, I'm trying to think what was... We, Doctor Who Widow in the Wardrobe is Matt Smith's second one, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. His first one um, was Christmas Carol. Christmas Carol, which I do quite enjoy. It, it's a bit meh, but I, I never thought the Christmas specials were like a cultural milestone up to that point. There were a couple that I just found really enjoyable. Yeah, it's a bit um, nothing. But it's not. Yeah, and, and Christmas like, Carol, I enjoy. I think mostly, mostly down to we get to see Matt Smith for the majority of the episode doing what was pretty much his legacy on the show, which is taking material that is either terrible or not all that, and no matter that, him being fascinating to watch. Mm. Um, and also Michael Gambon, like the two bounce off each other, the two younger actors who played the two versions of Kazran, like yeah. really nice. Catherine Jenkins in, in a sort of weird role that she she used, that she approaches and does some really nice stuff with herself. Um, the problem is, when you look back at it, it's another example of the moth clever model. <laughs> it's like, we're going to do Christmas Carol, but not quite Christmas Carol, because it's Christmas Carol, but do the front It's, like, it's oh, Christmas Carol in pretty much name only. Yeah. Like, to make it fit the template, you have to do some serious twisting. Yeah. Like, and I ain't in the mood for a game of Twister. I'm going <laughs> not on Christmas at that time of the day. Maybe earlier in the day, but I'll, not at that point. I'll turn 30 by the time you hear this. My joints are not what they used to be. <laughs> You're saying overnight they're just going to completely crease up. That's not been overnight, Christopher. Oh, God. It's been a long time coming. Oh, God. I have not looked after myself. <laughs> just like Stephen Moffat has not looked after Doctor Who. Hey, nice segue. Hey. I wish you could drink your beer. Uh, so, <laughs> mm. Mm, tasty beer. 
Today's episode is sponsored by... Um, <laughs> Tasty Beer! <laughs> the new beer! Uh, Doctor Widow in the Wardrobe was... Doctor the Little Star. Again, Doctor Widow in the Wardrobe was the first one where I was like, the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, I really didn't enjoy it. Then I kind of dug the snowmen, even though it, it is kind of naff in places. But then the year after that was... From correctly, uh, time, time in the doctor, and I was like, "This is odd. Yeah. This feels like he's trying to cram a bunch of things into an hour." That because the Christmas special should just be the Christmas special should be, as far as I'm concerned, an episode of Doctor Who that is completely one-off viewer friendly. Like mm. if you're just watching that with your family, you watch it, you get it, and you go, "Oh, cool! I get the basics. That's great." Um, Christmassy themed, if possible, mm. but not every single one because then it would become a bit too repetitive and not overtly. Yeah, uh, and um, and <clears throat> I also think that it shouldn't rely heavily on season plot arcs as part of its story. End of time part one being a bit of an exception because it was the end of that era and it was the wrap up for that era. And itself. also you were getting a follow up on New Year's, so yeah, so it kind of it, it worked. And you'd have to wait too long for the next bit. Blah blah blah. Um, time of the Doctor is a wrap up of an entire three season arc crammed into one episode, and then every Christmas episode since is kind of. Been a bit. Ugh. It's not so much. It's not and then, so much and then a, this one was similarly kind of a bit of a wrap up. It's not so much a wrap up as it is like a clusterfuck. I, I don't, I, no, no, I don't. It's not quite the word I'd use. It's like imagine wrapping a Christmas present that's really awkwardly shaped. Yeah. And get it all done, and then you turn to get your tape off the tape holder, tape dispenser, and it's empty, <laughs> and it's midnight on Christmas Eve, and you can't go anywhere to buy anymore. So you just have to sort of crumple all this paper into the nooks and crannies of the object you wrap in yeah. to sort of make it fit and it's all mostly covered and then it looks like it's been through the Royal Mail twice. And then you pour the contents of a hot glue gun over it in yeah. the hopes that it'll Just keep it to contained. Seal it, yeah. And maybe put a bit of blue tack inside to make sure it flaps up. And you're really glad that whatever this is is in a box that people aren't going to want, got, want, going to, want to keep because fuck me, it's ruined. <laughs> like... <laughs> Thank God this isn't the collector's item. That's Matt's review of Time and the Doctor, everybody. That's, that's uh, what it is. Wrap up my ass. So, but this, what makes Twice Upon a Time nice and unique is it's the last Christmas special for the 12th Doctor. A Doctor who, I think collectively, we're not that fussed by. Do you think it should be the last Christmas special? Yes. Not forever, but certainly the last consecutive. Yeah. I'd be more than happy with it popping up occasionally if it goes back to that format of it's a one-off adventure that you don't need to know anything about the show to understand. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they did that, I and would... it, was like, it was like every couple of years we had one at Christmas, I'd be like, fair enough. I would honestly be surprised. Honestly surprised? Honestly be surprised <laughs> if they had time to shoot a Christmas special before next Christmas. Well, the only way you could do it would be to make they've still got it... to do this series. Yeah, they started principal photography on it. Oh, yeah, they're in block two. Oh, shit, really? Yeah, but it doesn't come out till um, September at the moment. Oh, yeah, fucking hell. So, it's going to end near Christmas, kind of like um, Series 8. Yeah. Series 8 ended in November, and then uh, we had a Christmas special. Uh, It's... And the only way to get around that would be to make your uh, finale, because it's 10 episodes next year, allegedly, instead of 13. Well, originally it was 13, then it became 12 during the Moffat era, and now it looks like it's going to be 10 which I'm fine with at this point, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Because um, then we don't get the fucking priest trilogy in the middle of 
the series it just kills its Christ. its upward momentum that we've been wanting for so long it just kills that fucking momentum dead like a stone it kills it bashes its fucking brains in could you let a slightly more Austrian accent <laughs> just ever so slightly it kills it dead with a stone <laughs> bashes its fucking brains in <laughs> does it put its hand through its stomach I'm going to put my hand through your stomach and then patch your goddamn spine! <laughs> spine! The number one family holiday destination. Um, it's grinding oh, spine! Falls mainly on the plane! Now, you could make the Christmas special the 11th episode and the finale. But that'll bugger up the box sets even more, let's be honest. And they also. fucking release them separately! And also, no. Because I want Christmas, if they do it, to be a one-off, fun, little, weird adventure. Also, do you just... know what Christmas special better than the last few Christmas specials? Planet of the Dead. The Easter special. That Christmas special better. Do you I know think why? Planet of the Dead is a bit crap. It is shite. But it's an hour and five minutes of concentrated shite that is a one-off story involving a flying bus, you know what? metal stingrays, and Michelle Ryan in some I wonderful trousers. don't think... I and ever... Daniel Kaluuya! I don't think I actually ever finished... Planet of the Dead. Really? I think I got about halfway through it and was like, I don't like this Michelle Ryan character. What sort of Tomb Raider? Yeah. And I don't like any of what's going on here. I'm just going to check out. I don't think I've ever gone back to it. I'm freaking lending you Planet of the Dead. No, I don't want I don't want it. I don't want it. I want you to watch Planet of the Dead simply because after you've watched it, I want you to tell me if it was a better experience than watching Twice Upon a Time. Let's get into Twice Upon a Time. We've we can talk all day about yeah. past creep, creep, Christmas specials. G- g- generally His... speaking, short stuff. TLDR, right? <laughs> TLDL. Too long. Didn't listen. Um, it's <laughs> we haven't really enjoyed a Christmas special since maybe the Snowmen. The Snowmen, and even then, it was getting patchy. Yeah. Um. Twice upon a time. Not only a Christmas special, Matt, but that rarest of gems, which I think in a previous life we all really looked forward to, but now it's like we can't, we couldn't give a shit anymore. It was a multi-doctor story. Yeah, well, when I was a baby, I looked forward to people taking my pants off and wiping my ass. I don't look forward to that anymore. Oh, I wish I, you I grow out of things, wish, don't you? I wish people would do that now. <laughs> oh God. Um, but do you know I'm a bit of talc? <laughs> but um. <laughs> Baby soft swoon. And then a rusk afterwards to Aww. cheer us back up. And a rusk before. And a rusk during. Oh, God. Boy, I had an appetite growing up. Oh, oh God. <laughs> Just mush the rusks and mm. pump it into my veins. Um, like, think about that, though. Multi-Doctor stories happened how many times in the classic era? Three? Three Doctors, five Doctors, two Doctors. Yeah. Three. Um, And then what we got? Uh, dimensions in time. <laughs> Um, oh god, Dimensions in Time. Or as I like to call it, John Nathan Turner's Dimensions in Time. Uh, Go on, say it. You never want to say it. Madam! <laughs> what year is this? And 2013! Can... Oh, does that mean that the first Doctor's attitudes are outdated and old-fashioned? No, that's 2017. <laughs> Mince. Oh, right. Um, Let's... Oh, yeah. So this is a multi-doctor story. It's a big deal. In the modern era, we've had a couple. We had Time Crash. We had uh, Day of the Doctor. Yes. So, like, this is a a big deal. Yes. Um, 
Why was the first Doctor just a sort of companion that was barely required? Because I feel like thematically he was there for reasons that the script forgot very early on. Doctor Who it has been touched by the uh, the same thing that has been uh, that a lot of media in the last a lot of genre media particularly in the last uh, four, three four years five years has had has has been criticised for and that is nostalgia hmm. and referencing its own history. So they go right back to the start because someone. And I'm not naming any names, <laughs> but I've got a big finger here, and it's pointing at a good chunk of the internet. Some fucking smart bastard <laughs> saw Avengers in Space and Time and went, oh, David Bradley's really good. Let's have him play the first Doctor. <laughs> Listen, now, David Bradley mm. is a fucking brilliant actor. He's a national treasure. He is. He's fantastic. Mrs. Norris will attest to that. She's a character reference for him. He is not... He is not a William Hartnell impersonator. No. I would argue that the first Doctor in ti- Twice Upon a Time is even less First Doctory than the Richard Herndall Five Doctors First Doctor, who is very much a vague remembrance of the character recreated on screen. Yeah. And now, I'm going to say this. Here's some positives. Cause I think people are going to go be like, oh, these two have already decided they hate it. Um, well, we have by this point, because we've already seen it. Yeah, twice in my case. Twice upon a fucking time. But I'm gonna, That's four I, times let's, upon let's a time. Let's leave with a few That's po- five times. Let's leave with a few positives, good sir. Don't hit me with maths. My mind hurts. <laughs> I think David Bradley did a Matt Smith in this. I think he did the utmost he could with the lines and dialogue and scenes he was given. He's never not going to be a great actor. Yeah. But boy, he, the first Doctor was written poorly. He brings some of Hartnell's physicality. Like, you know, it's not an exact copy, but like he brings some of it in there, enough that it's not distracting, but still kind of... you. In some scenes, I found myself going, okay, that's that's the Doctor. Yeah, I credit, buy that that's the credit Doctor. Where credit was due. Mm. As the first Doctor, yeah, okay. I, I'll buy it as a, as a version of the first Doctor, but people turn around and going, "It's uncanny. He's just like Billy Hartnell." No. Fuck off. No. No. He he no. right. <laughs> he is like seventeen or eighteen years older now than Billy Hartnell was when he fucking left the role. They all turn around to me and say he's exactly the fucking same. Now. David Bradley played a really wonderful version of William Hartnell in Adventure in Space and Time. Again, yeah. it was the typical biopic thing of the actor studies the subject and gets a, gets a feel for their voice, their mannerisms, their quirks, some of their idiosyncrasies, but then brings a dramatised performance of the story that they're telling yeah. using some of those things as a storytelling device, not not as the be-all and end-all. Um, same with a lot of the BBC4 um, TV movies like Eric and Ernie and Best Possible Taste. I love Eric it's amazing. And, and Michael Sheen did the um, Kenneth Williams one. I think that was the one that kicked it all off. Like, I did some radio stuff with the guy who played um, Ernie Wise in Eric and Ernie. Did you? I remember his bloody name now. Hang on. He's lovely. Um, I, he's, he's not one of those actors who was a, he was a big BBC 3. Brian Dick. Brian Dick, there he is. Brian yeah. Dick. He's, he, was a, he was a big BBC 3 and BBC 4 yeah. favourite for a while. They were casting him in a lot. Because he was in Being Human for a couple of stories. Yeah, yeah. He's in um, Torchwood, isn't he, I think? 
in one of them. I might be wrong there, but I'm sure he's in one of them. He's in. Um, um, he's definitely being human. He's, he was he's brilliant yeah. in that. He, yeah, yeah, he's he's cracking. Lovely bloke. Yeah. Great fun to work with. Um, but anyway, but again, like they weren't playing exact copies of Ernie Wise and Eric Morecambe. They were playing. But I think I think the the way the math, if there is math to it, is probably like it's at like sixty seventy percent an impression, but that's all there is. Like they don't go all yeah. the way with the impression; they go enough that you can buy that's that person, yeah. and then they play the character in the script that they are given. Um, do you want to borrow it? It's in it. It's in this room. You can take it home tonight. No, sorry. I just I, I always get Ernie. And, I always get Ernie. I always get more common wise though. Christmas. Remember, um, Nathan Jarvis is in that. Remember? Is it? He's the piano player. When because Reese Shearsmith is is Ernie Wise's dad in the flashbacks when he's a kid. I completely. They auditioned for Ted Robbins, and the piano player is Nathan Jarvis. Nathan taught us basically um, vocals and singing and stuff at college, and it weirded me out because I sat down in that scene being like, "Know him a bit, work with him." He taught me. <laughs> this is really strange. Yeah, <laughs> it's like watching that scene. I was like. There he is. This is really odd. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's straight up Ray Jarvis in that scene. Um, Shit, me, I missed that. <laughs> well, you've already either that or I'd seen it and forgot it. <laughs> Whatever. Getting so topic here. Anyway, but, but point is, Bradley played a wonderful William Hartnell, and in in Adventure in Space and Time, the few scenes that were directly like scenes from Doctor Who, he is a believable version of Hartnell's Doctor in that story. It's yeah. very much like, oh, he's the Doctor. There, but he's that's not, really sweet. This, he's not this gives you This gives you those warm feelings of, oh, it's a bit like William Hartnell's yeah. Doctor. This is and like... don't get me wrong, I, I'm quite happily mm. sit through David Bradley as the first Doctor, but it, it, it absolutely is not the uncanny like recreation of the performance that people are yeah. going mad about it for. Mm. And also, it's very poorly written. It's yes. very poorly written. H Bomber guy doesn't often review stuff on YouTube. He he tends to do like big video essays, but he broke that mold this past week by reviewing Twice Upon a Time on his YouTube check channel. I've not seen it. It's twenty six minutes long, worth watching. Um, shit, I will watch Few Adams do twenty fucking eight minutes on YouTube talking about fucking Astro Train. I could watch H Bomber guy for after the clip minutes. you showed me. I could also. Do that. <laughs> um, he's more beard than man. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I, uh, you know, I, 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 the thing I found the most fascinating in H. Bomber Guy's review is that at one point he tries to break down the plot off the top of his head of Twice Upon a Time. And he concludes basically that two old men meet each other for reasons that are never actually properly described. Because that's the thing as well. It's like, why is the 12th Doctor there? Uh, did the TARDIS bring him there? Well, the TARDIS doesn't seem to know what's going on. Okay, fine, whatever. It's just forgotten immediately. Break two old men. Break it down for me, Chris. Okay. What? Actually happens. What happened to time? What happens in Twice Upon a Time? The Twelfth Doctor is refusing to regenerate, which no no Doctor other than the Tenth did before this. The Fifth tried it. Yeah, but it was more to help keep his friend alive. So you see, you're not gonna stop the meal. Like he did it to keep. He did, oh, he did, he, he did it. I'm not gonna let you stop me. Now. Is it, I'm not gonna let you stop me. Hey. Nice. Um, you know, wild stuff. Seen he did. It is great. He so. did it. If you want a regeneration story, caves and hundreds are. But he, he prolonged his death to save the life of of someone he barely knew, but was responsible for, uh, because he's a freaking hero. Um, the tenth Doctor refuses to regenerate because the tenth Doctor is a selfish bastard who's the hero of his own story. 
And that's totally part yeah. of the character arc. Seriously, look at it. We watch all of his seasons again. There is a subtle character arc for him. His doctor is a hero, but he is also a selfish prick. That is the character arc. Look for it. But anyway, Luke Skywalker. That was fascinating. <laughs> that was, he did not want to die. Oh, whoa! Oh, hey! 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 <laughs> he did not want to die. And then eventually accepts it. He's like, oh, and he just accepts it. Yeah. He's the only doctor who's ever really shown signs of like, I don't know, I don't want this, I don't. And then, in the, well, and then in the yeah. last moments, he's straight up like, I mean, I mean, in a way where he's like actively fighting against the notion of it, not not in a second doctor way of like he's being forced to change. It was the first time the show really explored the idea of regeneration as a death. Mm. It feels no matter person. no matter what it feels like yeah. dying. I die and another man goes sauntering off, but I'm gone. And a lot of people really hated that and. I can understand why, because a lot of the time the regeneration has been a positive acceptance thing. Like, yeah. look at the third Doctor, look at the fourth Doctor, look at the ninth Doctor. It's a very positive, like, okay, time to change. And but it's it is, like... It is also something I think the novels have touched on in the yeah. wilderness years. And I think it's very much the tenth Doctor's perspective on it, though. I yeah. think it's his perspective on it. Um, and it is true in a way. It's like that version of the Doctor is now gone. It's still the same person, but that mannerism, that behaviour, that, yeah. that, 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 that version is no longer there. It's just that incarnation finds it to be really sad. But Eleventh Doctor accepts it. You know, Ninth Doctor accepts it. The, yeah. the War Doctor accepts it. Wearing a bit thin. I hope the nose is a bit less conspicuous. And off it, you know, uh, ears or whatever. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? But it's like, even him and his stupid scene, which when you think about it, it's like, oh, for God's sake. Like, even him is like, well, it's time. And he changes. The Twelfth Doctor is refusing to change at the end of The Doctor Falls for reasons... Not really clear. I think he wants to die. But then that's simple. Just die. Kill yourself. Stop your regeneration. I cannot but, self-terminate. But he can. We saw the Master do it in the modern series in its own rules. He refused to regenerate in the Tenth Doctor's arms despite him. Yeah, I died. know that. Yeah. So that's established that that's a thing you can do. Yeah. And we've seen that you can be killed outright as a as a time lord, like before you regenerate. Yeah, yeah. So all he has to do is freaking kill himself, or stop the regeneration from happening, and then die from his injuries. Injuries which amount to a frayed coat, pretty much, and a slightly blown back hairline. Yeah, like he was blown up on the floor of a cyber ship, and seems to be moving around perfectly fine. We also discover that the first Doctor didn't want to die. And they don't exactly outright say why other than he was afraid. Because he'd never done it before. Yeah. But he also says he will be a master of his own destiny at the beginning. So is he implying that he's like, no, I choose to die, die. I'm not going to change. I'm going to die. So is that what he's implying? Why is Moffat's last story about two old men clinging on to something and then having to accept the inevitability that change is coming and it just has to happen? Oh! Oh, I see! Okay, I get it, Steve. It's a personal story. It's very topical. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, wait. Is the Doctor the Patriarchy? <laughs> Under Moffat's pen? Because, um... in a way, in a way, thematically, that's kind of brilliant. I don't think it was intended, let's be honest. But yeah, it's... I think, well, it, I think it's a self-journey. Thematically, kind of brilliant. In execution, bit shit. Yeah. Because, again, what actually happens in twice two, two time. doctors refusing to regenerate are somehow in the same place at the same time. Yeah. And he's holding off the regeneration, so his face is a bit weird. Why is yours the same, then? Um, 
Seriously, think about that. He wrote in a fail-safe to explain why it's a different actor playing the first Doctor. Mm. Yet that same logic doesn't apply to the 12th. Just accept... Listen, this is a show about a man who travels time in a box. Like, I think we can... I think you can raise our suspension of disbelief to accept that this is a different fucking actor because the the other actor's been dead for, what, 30, 40, 35 years at this point? Mm -hmm. 40 years longer? It's fine in Time Crash because you do have to acknowledge that the fifth Doctor looks about 30 years older than the fifth Doctor looks. And that was a quick mention. It was just all oh, the time differentiation. Those two being together, it's all a bit wibbly. Oh, God, blimey. Maybe put the hat back on. Yeah. Okay. Simple. Like, there, pure, pure and simple. Little jokey moment. Move on. This is a whole story where an actor of a similar age to the way the actor was made to look who played the part originally is playing the part. I think we can just buy it's the first Doctor. Yeah. Just just don't, don't even chuck that line in because that line means the 12th Doctor should look different. I'm nitpicking. Back to the story scare quotes. Yes. What? And well, well, the third well, well, one shoulder. And final fucking time, Christopher. Yeah. What actually happened, happened to time in Twice Upon a Time? A World War One soldier rocks up suddenly in the South Pole. He's like, I don't know what the fuck's happened. Then we see that he got taken from the moment of his supposed death and has accidentally ended up here because something went wrong. Then a spaceship kidnaps them all. And a lady made of glass says, Hi, we're testimony. We take people. Um. In their final moments, something went wrong. So you better put him back. And if you do, we'll sweeten the deal. Here's your friend. And Bill shows up. And she's Bill, but she can't remember how she got there. So the doctor's instantly suspicious it's not Bill. But the soldier's like, I overheard that. Fair enough. If I'm destined to die, that's fine. I will go back to that moment. And you can see your friend. And Bill's like, no, this is bullshit. And then the doctor makes his grand, you are the enemy and I am the doctor speech for no reason to these glass people, despite not really knowing what they're up to. And then the glass people show the first doctor, the doctor of war, which is actually just a bunch of sort of low res clips of various doctors in bubbles, whilst they list some names and some, one of many rearrangements um, some rearrangements of Series 1 music start to play for some reason. I, thought, I think I think they use I Am The Doctor at that point, actually, from Series 5. I'm pretty then sure. Then they that, escape, yeah. and the TARDIS gets taken by Testimony, who, by the way, are not the first in the Moffat era uh, to be a spaceship that on the inside looks like a Welsh convention building or castle. Then, um, why does it look like a castle inside, Matt? Listen, why? Then... castle interiors are all the rage in future spaceship design, just fucking oh, retro futuristic then castle they go in the first doctor's tardis um and go to a database because the first doctor noticed that the glass woman can't be a computer simulation because her face isn't symmetrical nice little detail uh, she must be based on a person so the doctor's like right well i'll go to this database where i can definitely figure out who it is it's the biggest database ever they go to the weapon forges of villain guard if that sounds familiar, it's because in Stephen Moffat's first script, the Ninth Doctor mentions the weapon factories of Villengard. I would think that was a nice, sweet little bookend. Like, oh, his first episode and his last episode mentioned the same place. Here's the thing. Bro. Yeah, it was a weapon factory. It was it was sabotaged and blown up. As the Doctor said, he went there once. There's a banana grove there now. Bananas are good. And later in that same scene, he gives Jack a banana and mentions that it's one from the grove. So at some point, the Doctor showed up, got rid of a weapon factory, and turned it into a banana grove that stands there at least long enough to grow some fucking bananas. In this, we find out that it's Rusty the Dalek from Into the Dalek, a story that was not set billions of years in the past. We find out in this scene that Rusty's been there 
for billions of years. I double-checked this yesterday on my rewatch. He's been there for billions of years. All he's been doing is shooting at Daleks that have come to kill him because he's a good Dalek, unquote. That's all he's done. That implies this place has been like this for billions of years. Probably hasn't been a weapons factory or indeed a banana grove at any point. Um, considering Jack comes from the 51st century. And that's when they got the thing from the... Anyway, I'm getting to nitpicky shit. But the point is, Moffat makes a reference to his own stuff to bookend, but completely contradicts his original reference in doing so. Wibbly wobbly tiny whiny. Rusty the fucking good Dalek. Waste of time. Waste My of nonsense. My favourite guest character. Interesting how he's shooting at the Doctor. He's trying to kill him. The Doctor's like, scan me, I'm dying. And he scans him. He's like, there, see? Proof I'm dying. Well, isn't that something you'd want to see up close? And then Rusty still shoots at him when he goes upstairs. And it's like, if Rusty wants to kill the Doctor, why don't you just kill him? Just kill him. Um, it's a Christmas special. I want a treat for the family on Christmas Day. Expecting everyone in the room to remember a story from 2014? 2015? 2014. Um, I don't even know anymore. They find out that the database, because somehow he manages to remember the exact face so that the Dalek can remember her. He remembers through the database that the lady is a scientist from the 12th year of New New Earth. Uh, from New Earth who worked with a studies group that developed temporal time travel that brings people so time from time throughout, throughout history, it's sort of targeted, brings people throughout history out of their time stream, freezes time, brings them out, the moment they're about to die, takes all their memories, puts them back, and then stores the memories, and can activate them through testimony, through a glass avatar, so that then that person can live on and teach us new things. So, overpopulation, which, I mean, not to get nitpicky again, but the two New Earth stories we had, they talk about overpopulation and how, like, the restructuring re, um, of society brought to New Earth was complicated and people ended up trapped in the freaking gridlock storyline for forever because stuff up top hadn't been run properly because people had died out from a virus and blah, 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 blah. And this lady's video that you see is from the year 5 billion and 12. So not that many years after the last time we saw New Earth in the show. You're telling me they've got room for billions of people from throughout history suddenly reappearing? Why is that a good idea? Also, this is the third time Moffat's done a storyline where dead people's memories live on in a database. This back is the, the third time he's done it. Please get back to the plot. I just want to get to the end of this. The doctor realizes that testimony. Dying over here. The doctor realizes testimony aren't evil. He even says, "Oh, it's not an evil plan. I don't know what to do, and it's not an evil plan." And we all get pissed off because that's one of the things we're sick of: misunderstand misunderstandings with supposed villains. But then it begs the question: Why was testimony being all sinister and weird and be like, "You cannot escape," and all this earlier on? Why was there a problem with the timeline? It's explained away toward the end by the Doctor that the only reason the soldier accidentally glitched out his timeline was because the two Doctors met up and that somehow, like, screwed with time. And that's how he got to the South Pole. That's that's the explanation for Mark Gatiss' character being in the South Pole. Because the two Doctors were in the same place and that messed with time at that moment. So the Bill Avatar spends the whole thing being like, oh, maybe I'm evil. But of course, when we realise what testimony is, it's like, oh, no, it's not. So this implies that Bill, who, when we last saw her, was an immortal puddle space fuel creature thing, 
This implies that Bill has indeed died at some point, probably shortly after when we last saw her, because she has no memories beyond being with Heather for a bit. So Bill's dead, and this is the testimony version of Bill. Um, they return the soldier back to World War One because reasons. Um, but the Doctor screws with the timeline again, so that the day is two hours later, and it turns out it's the day of the Christmas Day Armistice. And it's one genuinely Christmas-related sweet moment, briefly. But it just feels really weird, because it's tacked on to the end of this convoluted mess. I did like the Christmas Armistice bit, but it was completely yeah. out of nowhere. The not... First Doctor then travels back to the South Pole, gets rewritten last words from Moffat, and regenerates on the floor of the TARDIS. Presumably it lands back at the South Pole and Ben and Polly find him, a la 10th planet and um, uh, power or evil? Power. Power of the Daleks. Um, so there's that. Then the 12th Doctor's like, um, oh, <laughs> testimony says that a perception filter means that the soldier won't remember that they were there uh, and also won't be able to see them after time's corrected itself. And yet two minutes later, in a scene written by the same writer, Shot probably on the same day as that bit of dialogue being discussed on set. Two minutes later, Mark Gates' character sees Capaldi and they salute each other. And then Capaldi stands at the edge of the battlefield as the testimony times two appears. Bill sort of says, oh, you're brilliant, you don't die yet. And Nardole shows up. We all knew Nardole was going to die because his story ends with him going to die at some point in the near future, hopefully protecting some people. He shows up and makes a joke about his glass nipples. Clara makes a cameo in a way that suggests Jenna Coleman didn't really have any time to go and film something with them, so probably did it on a green screen near the set of Victoria. And returns all of his memories of her, I suppose, to make us viewers go, Yay! Memory! Oh, you remembers Clark? Couldn't give a shit. <laughs> then he goes into his TARDIS, and a Stephen Moffat script does two things in this scene. Does it does it two end? things. One, does it ever one, end? Yeah, oh, it's nearby. One thing it does is it gives Peter Capaldi a weird meta monologue where he's wishing the next actor the best of luck, giving them some fictional sort of humorous advice. I don't... And then him, Capaldi, the man, says goodbye to the role. That's what that monologue does for Peter Capaldi. What's also happening in that monologue is Stephen Moffat, a man who wrote an entire New Year's special about Sherlock Holmes where a man explained women's grief to women in The Abominable Bride, writes a, Oi, here's how you don't fuck it up list for Jodie and Chibnall. Moffat, in his final scene, writes a monologue for the Twelfth Doctor, essentially mansplaining to the Thirteenth. And making a joke about pears, because we all remember that throwaway pear line from the from Family of Blood. So, just He says it like it's meant to be a big thing. Never eat pears! He's got a big grin. And it's like, oh, is that... That's a reference to the video we leave from Martha. He says, never let me eat pears. Pears are horrible. Uh, and anyway, and that's, that's... Okay. What? And then Jodie Whittaker shows up. Doesn't get a chance to show off how lovely she is, apart from one grin shot. And the exact same fucking ending for every Doctor for the last uh, 10, 12 years happens again. Crashing! 
I mean, there are specific nitpicks to get into, but overall, I think Matt, you got into most of them. I think well, that's just that's just the plot ones. I really didn't like Twice Upon a Time. I really didn't like Twice Upon a Time. And I see a lot of people going, oh, Hush and Fi. It's, you know, it's, it's a lovely bit of Hush Christmas telly. Hush and Fi. Hush and Fi. Hush and Fi. Fadge not, they say. <laughs> um, a, Who the fuck are you talking to? That's a Twelfth Night reference, isn't it? Fadge not. Uh, I don't believe so. Um, <laughs> all right, then. Fadge not, lest you be fadged. Um, so... Notion Um I it's not harmless fluff, it's boring television. Boring television. Um and it it tries to make a comment about misogyny and just comes across as hackneyed. Weren't men in the sixties sexist? Yeah, but do you know who wasn't? The doctor. Yes, there was a few moments in the writing that were very much of a he, 60 sensibility. There is a, a smacked bottom moment in Dalek Invasion. Yeah, but who's he say it to? Susan. When she's acting against his wishes. And he's being a, he's being a telling off grandfather. Yeah. He's, 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 I mean, yeah, it's not something that people would say now. Or no. For the most part, no. people wouldn't say now. But he's not saying it to a random lady he's just met. Yeah. Also, I can't wait for Moffat to stop jerking off over lesbians in his script. Yeah, it's a bit weird, isn't it? Yeah. Bill was a wonderfully progressive and very well-handled character at the start of Series 10, yet in this, there's the weird moment where the Doctor says, well, aren't all ladies made of glass? In a way. <laughs> and then, quite rightly, the World War One soldier, whose sensibilities would be different, chuckles yeah. at the joke. The first Doctor wouldn't fucking say something like that. And then when he sees Bill's offended, he goes, well, my dear lady, I hope you don't mind, but I do have some experience with the fairer sex. So the old man who has to learn to let go of the thing he's been holding on to for ages. Uh, you see where I'm going with the projection? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Brags that he has yeah. had sex. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically what the first Doctor is doing in that moment. He's saying, don't worry. You're making I've... it even worse than I thought yes. it was. Yes. And then she goes, so have I. And the first Doctor and the World War One soldier go, oh, good Lord. And it's Moffat just picturing lesbians getting off with each other again. Something which he's done throughout his run continuously. Fucking loves it, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think I think we've said it before. Like Stephen Moffat's run on Doctor Who and the female characters contained therein give you a very detailed picture of the various sexual fantasies of Stephen Moffat. Yeah, a lot of them involve the same person making out with a duplicate. Yeah. Hmm. That's a common one. That happens at least twice on screen in, like, full-blown references. Both of them in extra scenes, not in the episodes as well. One's in Space and Time, the comic relief specials, where there are two Amys and they make reference to going to get off with each other. Like, one of them sort of flirts with the other and was like, oh, hi, and starts to approach her. You you remember remember that whole little mini-story starts? Rory looks up Amy's skirt through the glass floor and presses the wrong button. Moffat, everybody. Um, and then Clara, in one of the, like, Meanwhile in the TARDIS segments on the DVD, the TARDIS keeps screwing with, like, her sleep pattern. And, like, there are several of her that are out of time for some reason, all walking around the TARDIS trying to find their way back to the bedroom. And two of them mention that they've bunked. And they give each other a look. I just want to sort of crawl mm-hmm. through the floor right now. Yeah. 
I know Heather and Bill aren't the same people, but they're both the same creature. I... They are both the same sentient space puddle that are now making out and going on adventures. Apparently, except they aren't, because an episode later we find out Bill must have died shortly after that, because she doesn't remember anything shortly after that. I... He killed her off off screen in a way that suggests she didn't get a happy ending. I am more ashamed to be a fan of Doctor Who now mm-hmm. than I was as a teenager mm-hmm. growing up in a rough northwestern secondary school yep. when the main things that Doctor Who was known for were wobbly cardboard sets and Colin Baker's coat. Mm-hmm. And oh, ha, 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 Daleks can't climb stairs. I'm more embarrassed now yeah. to be a fan than I was then. And you shouldn't be embarrassed mm. to be a fan of everything, but the show is just so lumpen and, and cringeworthy and just... It's embarrassing. It took the original run um, about 21, 22 years before it became this thing that was just on that not everybody gave a shit about anymore. Yeah. Like, right up until, I'd say, probably season two of Peter Davison's run, yeah, it was still something that the family would watch. Yeah. Obviously, it was at its heyday, pretty much in its original three or four years, and then a bit of Pertwee and a lot of Tom was sort of when it was like, oh my God, Doctor Who's incredible, isn't it, everybody? Um, but, you know, it hits like sort of 80, late, late end of 83, 84, and people start to sort of fall out of favour with it a bit, and the channels don't support it, and the writing gets shit, and... You know, it sort of dies a slow death. It feels like this show has been dying a slow death since 2011. Now, not financially, because it went big in the States that year. Yeah. But, like, think back to those earlier Christmas specials we were talking about. Families were watching. Toys were covering the shelves. Kids were dressing up as David Tennant's doctor and running around playing Doctor Who. And I think a lot of that lasted into the Matt Smith era. I think, I think, I think it dribbled into it, yeah, for sure. But but after, after a while, I think it became something that they told us was happening, rather than what you could actually see out there in the world. I would argue that it dropped off hard after Amy and Rory were written out of the show, mm. and not because of them, but it was that. But it was around era, that yeah. time that that shift people started had started to, to realize. Oh. This isn't great. And that sucks. Yeah. And that's not to say there isn't lovely stuff along the way. There is. Um, H-Bomber Guy's review again mentions briefly Mummy on the Orient Express and Flatline. As much as I don't care for Clara, Flatline is a freaking great 45 minutes of television. And I love Mummy on the Orient Express. Although I really hate that freaking speech at the end now because it got played to death. The whole like, I am the one who stops the monsters. Um, and I like, and I really, really, really like Mummy on the Orient Express. Cause it's a very old school, straightforward Doctor Who story. And I like more... that in the seventies would have been a three to four part. I like more <laughs> of the last series than I don't. Yeah, yeah, I really dug the first like four or five weeks. Yeah, and I enjoyed. I, th- I, I think I enjoyed the finale on reflection, the two part finale. Yeah. Um, but when it's bad, <clears throat> it's bad. Yeah. Um, let's. Get into the our listeners' thoughts on it. Cool. Um, oh, do me a favour. Probably help us. Yeah. Um, do, do me a favour though. Um, even though you, as the earlier incarnation of the Doctor, are going to forget this encounter, as is the rules we've established in every multi-doctor yeah. story. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you keep an eye on that soldier's family for him, please? 
the Lethbridge Stewarts. Just uh, which, of course, he doesn't because he just meets him in is it the invasion? No, it's the the Web of Fear. Web of Fear, yeah. He meets and then him, again in the invasion, yeah. and then again in the invasion, and then obviously becomes a regular character in Spearhead onwards. Yeah, the Doctor is not at any point in the subtext looking out for the Lethbridge Stewart family. So Moffat tried to do something clever, forgetting that it, it'll be forgotten. This fucking show is better off without him. Right, um, going into your email. One, one more positive. Mark Gatiss performed the shit out of everything he was given. Oh yeah, love watching Mark Gatiss. It's a shame that there are two threads that him and Bradley are given that could actually be emotional flow-throughs. Yeah, yeah. And they are for a moment, and then they're taken away. Great actors struggling with poor material. Yeah, him, him, Straight all of it, all of his stuff with like ex- accepting death and then refusing it after thinking about it, like was wonderful. And that wonderful moment with the whole, like, what do you mean? You said World War One. What do you mean one? Yeah, that's quite wonderful good. moment. And then it's given a river song punchline and moved on from and never mentioned again. In fact, and and the book ends <clears throat> in the trench with the German soldier. Mm. There were those moments were quite nicely tense. Yeah, and. And, and very well performed and just and kind of tragic to watch because you know yeah my favourite scene in all things yeah. when he sat in the first Doctor's TARDIS yeah. talking to scare quotes Bill off screen about how he's like he's not ready anymore yeah. like he was fine with it and now he's not because he's had time to think yeah. about and that that was wonderfully done but they don't follow up on the idea that he knows there's more conflict like, that's not even brought up in that moment the idea that was this for nothing and then the first Doctor is shown the Doctor of War, the Shadow of the Valyard, the oncoming storm, and all this stuff, which isn't even him committing acts of violence. It's just his face in different orbs. Mythic name. Well, the first Doctor reacts to it with like, "What? What was that?" And that's a fascinating idea. If yeah. the first Doctor was suddenly told, you know, you're just, you're just, and because in this they sort of say, "Oh, this is why I left Gallifrey because I wanted to see things, but also, good versus evil scientifically doesn't make any sense." There shouldn't be a balance. And I just wanted to see for myself what could be out there. And then she's like, well, maybe you're the one who sets the balance for good. Whatever. That's just Moffat trying to project like what he believes the show's about. But but at no point does the first Doctor be like, do I become something unspeakable? Yeah. At no point do they mention it. He just reacts to those things with like, what was that? And then they move on. And it's never mentioned again. Like Moffat brings up a couple of interesting ideas for a moment and then goes, people remember that moment. They'll be gifting that on Tumblr afterwards. And then he ditches them in favour of lame cliches and... Smack bottom. Poorly developed and... characters. And, and I... also, why is the First Doctor fucked about his brandy being touched? The First Doctor doesn't drink. In The Gunfighters, he makes an explicit point about that. Yeah. But he I never touched on the stuff. He does, like, to help steady that gentleman's nerves. But he yeah. seems offended when the brandy's, like, lesser in the future. It's like... It's the fan fiction thing of taking moments, like little character moments that happen here and there and then turn them into full-fledged tics and Mm. characteristics of a character. It'd be something that they might have only done once, but to make it, to make people think that you know the character well, you throw in these little things that are just one-offs and situational rather than actually something that is intrinsic to that character. Um... Let's let's get into reactions. Yeah. Jesus. Um, <laughs> in summary, we didn't like it. Tom <laughs> uh, Monty sends Tom uh, Monty. Uh, as it was Christmas Day when the episode aired, <laughs> by the time I got round to watching twice upon a time, I was pretty heavily drunk. So my experience of watching it is sort of blurred. I wasn't that drunk. 
still blurred for me because it made no sense. <laughs> um, I didn't enjoy the main bit of the episode, to be honest. Nothing really happened, as both Asbill and the First Doctor's presences weren't really necessary. But I was intoxicated at the time and haven't gotten around to watching it again, and I don't think I will for a very long time. Actually, I think I might have fallen asleep during the middle for a few minutes as well. I don't think it would have made a difference, Mike. Um, also, I'm pretty sure there was nothing in the episode about the Doctor choosing to regenerate into a woman because he wanted to be progressive, like you were talking about in earlier podcasts. Yeah, I was looking out for that, and I didn't spot anything explicit. Yeah, it was just what Moffat um, basically said in Radio Times yeah, in the end. which is dumb. Um, as for the main event, the regeneration, it's the only bit I've watched again quite a few times, and I really liked Twelve's final speech. It made me well up. I love the use of the Heaven Sent music, and after rewatching the original Heaven Sent scene in which that track was used, it sounds like it was made for his regeneration. If only the BBC decided to release the fucking two-year-old Series 9 soundtrack already. <laughs> yeah, the BBC. Yeah, they, they've, fin- they've finally gone around. Series 8 was announced around Christmas. They finally oh. said it's finally coming out. Jesus and the marketing from, I can't remember the record company is, that, like, own, like, is the ones that make it. Yeah, yeah. But they, they, even their tagline for it was like, good things come to those who wait. So basically, like, yeah, we're sorry this took so long. And it was probably on the was BBC it, side. Good things come to those who wait with the W and 8, the number 8. No mediocre oh god and as for the transformation <laughs> bit once again Moffat has let me down why does he lack the ability to just give us a static shot of the Doctor's face he changes like RTD could do seven years ago it's the bit that I really look forward to and would make the transformation feel more complete for me but no Moffat decides to zoom in on his or her eyes and the morph itself looks off I understand there's a significant height difference between Capaldi and Whitaker, but all the more reason to see what they could have done with a static shot after the 13's first moments, I enjoyed the reaction and I liked it when the TARDIS then started vomiting her out because she's a woman. But the only bit I don't like is about it is those jarring first-person view shots that Chibnall gives us. When you see Jodie's reflection on the console screen, it looks Chibnall didn't give us huge. those shots. Um, Rachel Talele gave us those shots. She was the director. You do understand the difference... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being really patronising here. Go for it. You do understand the difference between a director and a producer, right? Yeah. Chibnall didn't direct those scenes. Now, he might, he might have um, written... She looks in the monitor, but he didn't execute the shot. I will agree. It, her face is weirdly large and close up in that reflection. Yeah. Um, I think they're trying to... to yeah. To, I think they're doing close details to sort of hide the whole of her face until you get that turnaround. Mm. But, I don't know. Rachel Talele has been sort of... In the same way the show bigs up everything it does during the Moffat era, where it's like, oh my God, like Bradley's, in, Bradley's performance is uncanny and, and all that sort of it's stuff. Not- like, Rachel Zalele sort of like, oh my god, she's incredible, she's the best director the show's ever had. No, she's got a really good eye for some nice setup and detail, and she has done some brilliant work on the last few seasons. Yeah. But she's not perfect. I don't think any director of the modern era has, has done something where you go, oh my god, that's flawless. No. Even like Graham Harper, who was a returning it's, director, it's like a lot did of, some really good stuff, but some shots you'd be like, oh, that's a bit old school. It's like a lot of genre TV. Yeah. It's, it's not done with a lot of time or a yeah. lot of budget. As competent as these directors may be, mm. they don't have time to be truly creative like directors yeah. can be on movies where they have a budget. Nor are they allowed to up the saturation the other way. Because yeah. this was another episode that was just these washed out greys and Yeah, browns. they're working to a house style and they mm. don't have... They don't have the freedom that a director would have on a project that is, is theirs. So, yeah, little flares shine through now and again and... You'll you'll definitely also see it in the performances of the actors. That's where a director can really shine on a show like this. He's getting great performances out of guest stars and mm. ongoing ongoing performers. But yeah. 
Yeah, it's not... This kind of TV show is not a showcase for a director. No. It's somewhere where they can hone their technical craft and speed, not their extravagance. Um, can I just touch on something he's mentioned here, another Mon- little Tom Monty? What did you yes. think of the quote-unquote goodbye speech? Like, I think Capaldi tried his absolute best to make it work. Personally, I thought the whole thing was dreadful. It's it's another example of, that we've got a lot of in this episode, a wonderful, just wonderful, electric, just stunning actor, mm. of which this episode is full of, struggling with poor material. And my name, like, no one must ever hear it. They wouldn't be able to say it anyway, or understand it, except for children. If sometimes when the stars are in their aligned and their heart is in the right place, children will hear... What does this mean? Is this him trying to make a comment on the audience and the people who grow up with the show and how it it, it, it appeals more to kids? Because if that's Moffat going, this show captures imagination of children, then why didn't he try and capture children's imagination over the last seven years of his run? Apart from series five, which was the only one that felt like it was aimed at kids. That is a really lovely sentiment. And that little phrase is... I can't... That that little phrase... I can't... um, they wouldn't even be able to understand it except for children. Mm. It's a, it's just a lovely thought. Yeah. But it, it just gets lost in the melange of... Well, also, in the, also in the melange of his shit because he's made a whole thing of the Doctor's name being important and then not being important and then the fact that someone yeah. knows it is what's important not the name itself and the fact that he can also talk to babies. So is he talking about he tells babies his name and if babies can hear his name that means they're speaking... Like... All of his stuff has kind of made what could be a lovely sentiment yep. really odd and convoluted. But also, I think it's because that entire last speech to me just felt like Moffat was writing a speech for Capaldi to say goodbye to the role as opposed to what the Doctor would be doing in that moment or mm. saying in that moment. Um, and also, on, on the topic of regeneration that Tom Monday brought up as well, I want the regenerations to be visually different. Because this confirmed that the first Doctor's regeneration into the second, which we saw in black and white, was also a glowy orange, like, beam thing. Yeah. The modern show, like, the Master's regeneration in Utopia is the one that, I guess, solidified, oh yeah, this is what it looks like. But I think that was a visual choice for that story, so that you, a casual viewer, who maybe, like, might not, Mm. um, you know, know the show in and out, would go, oh my god, he's the same as the Doctor. But also and you'd figure out great yeah. screaming. Oh, that was brilliant! Yeah, but like after that, they should have varied it up every time. Fair enough. Yeah. For the end of time, it was almost like that era going goodbye, boom. Because this did the same thing in this one. The regeneration blew up the TARDIS again. Yeah. Although um, vomit vomiting her out because she's a woman. I think that's in jest. But I did see a lot of Twitter like after that making the joke of wow. So the first thing you have the female first female Doctor do is crash the TARDIS, and it's like. Okay, joking aside, people, the reason her crashing the TARDIS annoyed me wasn't because it was, oh, maybe this is a stereotypical joke or like it's meant to be a meme. No, it's just because we've seen it like we've the last four it, we, times. Yeah, we've done it already. We've um, done it to death. Yeah, I'm freaking bored of it. Although, as we said before, if the premise of the next series is the Doctor has lost the TARDIS and he's looking to reclaim it... Mm. Yeah, all right. That's pretty cool. Yeah, okay. Um, I haven't got won't be that because... It's all, it, I think it'd be a really great way mm. to reintroduce the show yeah. and what it does to a new audience and recontextualise it in the same way that the third Doctor being stranded on Earth 
for so much of yeah. his tenure was a great way to sort of refocus the show, get people into the feel of it, and then yeah. start to expand it into more weird stuff. Yeah. The same way that the first season of the revival <laughs> was mostly earth based. Yeah. And then you but and then with a bare bones went, doctor yeah. who, who didn't have the visual kind of trappings of it all because they wanted you to get who he was. Yeah. Before they started to experiment with all the kooky stuff. Um. That would be lovely if they did that, but I, 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 I still, I still don't know. I hope we're going to get a really good series this year. Yeah, it, we're definitely more likely to get a good one in comparison to if it was a continuation of the current team. But all the same, dude wrote Cyberwoman, so yeah. <laughs> and I think in the co- in the course of that, we've also we've also answered, yeah. Um, Which again, H Bomber guy reminds the viewers. They defeat her with barbecue sauce and a pterodactyl. Um, uh, just to, just to pick up on that, although repurposing it for my own, uh, my own uses, as going. This is what Tom says. Uh, over the Jody's reflection thing, I do hope this isn't an early indication of what Chibnall's capable of, because I'm not impressed thus far based on that. Take that sentence, apply it to Cyberwoman. I'm with you. Um, <laughs> You think you may think these are all nitpicks, but I think that a rare moment like that sort of has to be perfect. You know, I get, I get it. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, yeah the, I get that. The Eleventh Doctor's introduction, for example, is perfectly done um, because you—it's such a tone shift in that moment that it, it slaps you with a big silly. You're all feeling emotional and sad, and then in the middle of this big dramatic music, this soft babyish young old face appears and goes. Ooh, silently, like wordlessly, and you go, wait, what the fuck? And the the, the gear just shifts completely, yeah. and and it's wonderful and silly. And Capaldi's introductory moment is wonderful, yeah. like the fact that he just goes bang and he's there. Yeah. And some like the kidneys line, I'm not a fan of, but I do love the whole. Um, we appear to be crashing. It's all right. Just one question: Do you happen to know how to fly this thing? Mm-hmm. Wonderful first like line to end his seat, like line to end his first seed on. Wonderful. And I think Jody's. Full on close up, the oh brilliant moment is great because the doctor would look at her reflection and go, "Oh shit, I'm a woman this time. Finally, this is new." Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know what I mean? Because it, it also calls back to that moment of, of when Eleven regenerates. He's like, "He's there. He's like, oh, I'm a girl." And he goes like, "I'm a girl." Wait, no, and he feels Adam's apple and realizes, yeah. "Oh no, wait, no, I'm not a girl. I'm not a girl." Okay. Um, <laughs> And a lot of people, again, took that at the time as him being like, oh my god, I'm a girl, no! And it's like, no, he's just like, oh, I'm a girl! Oh wait, no, I'm not a girl. Oh, okay. <laughs> and still not Ginger. Um, yeah, it, it's... I think her reaction in that moment is lovely, but it just sucks that it, it, I see what he means. Like, it's almost a bit like, yeah. oh, this is her first yeah. scene? Okay. Um, but Chris, your prediction as to what the 13th Doctor's first line would be was pretty much bang on. I think you said, oh, this is... I think you originally said, oh, th- that's new. Oh, this is new. Yeah, I can see where you're going there. Um, and then question... just turns to the camera and goes, "It's about time. Don't at me." And then the credits just roll um, <laughs> over a picture. I was still of her just staring at the camera, like, "Yeah." They're not a still. Yeah. A continued shot where she's just squinting more and more, and just getting ever so close to the camera. And the music's playing and just slowly fades out. <laughs> she's just um, like glaring at the viewer. Uh, <laughs> Questions that I think we've already covered. Um, <laughs> do you feel like Moffat has wasted the first Doctor? No, the first Doctor had three wonderful years yeah, on television that are brilliant. Go watch them. It's just, yeah. 
I don't <clears> think we... Yeah. Uh, what do you think of Capaldi's final speech in Regeneration? Just talk loads about that. Goff. Um, how do you feel about the state that the 13th Doctor was in in the final shot of the episode and what this means for Series 11? Again, let... Hopefully it means a cool storyline yeah, where she's trying to find the TARDIS or at least is like, why did that because happen? I, I was really it. hoping that we'd get the whole, oh, Gallifrey's back... I'm going to go and find it. And we never really did. Like, oh, yeah. he ends up back on Gallifrey. Day of the Doctor ends in such a wonderful yeah. way. And then Gallifrey is just kind of a thing that's horrible and a bit shitty yeah. after that. And they, 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 I feel like it goes, oh, there's going to be this whole search for Gallifrey thing. And then it just did never go hey, anywhere. did you like how the first Doctor's last words were not only a, a recalling of something Capaldi's Doctor said to him in the story, but was also the final words of the Day of the Doctor anniversary special. Those are his last words now. Awesome. Those are his um, last words. Moffat wrote the first Doctor's last words. He loves the first Doctor. Did you know that? He's written the first... The first Doctor appears several times during Moffat's tenure. It's almost like he's trying to prove something. Yeah. Like, as a child, yeah. his home appears several times. Yeah. Like, we find out that he didn't even pick the TARDIS. Clara did, despite the Doctor's wife making a big point of saying that the TARDIS was like, no, I I chose you. It's like he's trying to get... He's trying. It's like he's finally got a chance to make his fanfiction canon. It's very close. Um, Guy Grist. Guy Grist. Guy Grist. Um, he's doing it with his wrist. Hello, Chris He's Matt. typing words and saying things. It's Guy it's Guy, it's Guy, Guy Grist. Uh, very Guy Merry Grist. Christmas and all that. Um, <laughs> so another era of Doctor Who is over and frankly it's really shit. Good riddance. <laughs> Twice Upon a Time is one of the worst pieces of television I've ever seen, full of painfully unfunny sexist jokes, fan wank all over the place and no plot to speak of whatsoever. Basically pointless. Hopefully the Chibnall era will... Uh, oh God, we talked to off. Uh, <laughs> will, will be an improvement. Please be better. Please someone give me my Sylvester any day. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Sylvester yeah. and Tweedy. Mysteries. Um, Jacob comes in with... That was shit, I think. I mean, <laughs> the Doctor Who Christmas special. Uh, the first Doctor's was characterised completely wrong. He isn't sexist. His first story happens to be set in a time when the majority of people were sexist, but never the Doctor. So this technically is the third incarnation of the first Doctor. <laughs> Uh, true. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't shed a tear like I did with Smith. <clears throat> I did get a lump in my throat when the soldier said his name was Lethbridge Stewart. The one thing I hated about it was Nardole's appearance. <laughs> I'm Nardole! That should have been a minute. Um, he his is. character had a he perfect. He is Nardole! His character had a perfect. <laughs> Nardole's Nardole swimming. He in ate the ocean. it! He ate my whole body! <laughs> <laughs> His character had a perfect send-off in The Doctor Falls, and he has surprisingly become one of my favourite characters in all of the Doctor Who unitard. I was surprised by how much I ended up not hating Nardo. Yeah. I like was strong word, but... I, I quite liked him by the end yeah. of Series 10, but yeah. Clara's surprise uh, appearance wasn't that much of a surprise. Half expected the 11th Doctor to show up at that point, and the appearance of Rusty... Uh, for the first time since Into the Dalek was kind of pointless. Yeah, they were trying to treat it almost like a greatest yeah. hits moment. And it was just... Was that really one of the greatest hits of that nope. era? Like, nope. Um, it felt kind of forced to me. I did enjoy the regeneration, uh, the fourth incarnation of the Twelfth Doctor. <laughs> See, um, yeah. I've grown to really like this version of the Twelfth Doctor, and I will miss him. 
Uh, Jody's first scenes reminded me of 10 into 11's first scenes. Hope we get a new TARDIS interior, something a lot warmer. Yeah, okay. Overall, it was just like any other Christmas special. It was mediocre. <laughs> we are getting a new TARDIS interior. Yeah. Um, a couple days after Christmas, the Doctor Who Twitter feed and Instagram, and then the YouTube, posted a time-lapse dismantling of the, the dismantling set, yeah. of the TARDIS. Uh, and also, some people have noticed, uh, Billy pointed this out to me earlier on today, actually, uh, all the Doctor Who social media, the BBC-led ones, mm-hmm. the logo's no longer used anywhere on them. The profile picture is Jodie from the press shot, and the banner picture is like... Oh, no, the profile picture is the TARDIS in the press shot, and the banner picture is Jodie from the press shot. Mm-hmm. There's no logos to be seen anymore. They're getting a new logo. It's almost down. like it's on the cusp of fact. I think the show is... I, I don't think it should be going like, here's some stuff that you need to know about next series anytime soon. It should wait till nearer the time. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if they were like, hey, everybody, here's what the show's going to look like. Yeah. We'll see you in a few months for a trailer. Please. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that yeah. would be like, okay. It's like the show is immediately going, fuck that last era. Hi. Yeah. Which I think it needs guys. to do. We need a clean break. Yeah. But at the same time, um, don't give us anything meaty until like July. Yeah. When we're, when we're a month or so away. It's, it's going to be too far away. Yeah. And um, also, it'll feel too soon after the previous era. So people who didn't like the previous era would probably just assume it's the same era because, oh, it's more stuff. There we go. Too Whereas soon, if too there's, soon. If there's a bit of a gap, it's enough time for people to be like, oh, oh shit, have you seen that new Doctor Who trailer? It looks different. Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Have you seen it? Um, Sean Lindsay. Um, I can split the episode up into a rather boring episode and a great final five minutes. The bulk of the episode was a plot where nothing happened and only really got enjoyment from Peter Capaldi, Matt Gatiss and David Bradley all interacting. Again, Great actors, poor material. Mm. Uh, then the regeneration happened where Capaldi gave a good speech where I feel like the Doctor was him speaking to his next self about how they should be because he would forgotten all the past couple of years. Yeah. Then Jodie popped up, said two words and was, well, brilliant. Um, also, do you think the TARDIS crashing or flinging the Doctor out of the TARDIS is the TARDIS's way of not allowing the Doctor to see her change? <laughs> Don't look at me, I'm shy. That's a, that's a um, neat idea, I think. It's a neat idea, but a bit of an extreme well, thing for the yeah, TARDIS to weird. do. Um, I mean, it could knock her into a cupboard or something and close the cupboard for ten minutes and then yeah. open the cupboard and be like, oh shit, I'm in the swimming pool room. Where's the console room? Oh, look, it's at a makeup. Um, you know, just, I don't know. Um, a few, just a couple of things before I forget, like you know, focusing on the actors and stuff. Before I forget I think... <laughs> <laughs> I think Pearl Mackey did a lovely job with what she was given in this one. Um, but I'll say this. Pearl Mackey was all, was, was great in everything. Though. Yeah. Like, the the Bill, the version of Bill with testimony knew it was with testimony. Testimony. Because later in the episode it was like, I'm I'm still me. Like, of course I'm me. I'm some yeah. of my memories. Like, what are we if not memories? And basically it's that whole thing of, yeah, it's not technically her. But it is. But it is for all intents and purposes. Yeah. Um, but, she was like, I'm just part of testimony now. Why didn't she say that earlier? Because earlier, she was pretending like, oh, I don't know how I got here. And testimony was like, you cannot escape. And they were like, oh, villains, run away from them. When all it needed was for the testimony, like the main one off the bill to be like, I, uh, you know, this is what we do. Um, yeah, it was contrived running around for no yeah. reason. And it ultimately goes nowhere. Because there's no, there's no conflict in the plot. I also remember my favourite line. The one line I really liked in it. 
where the doctor, uh, the first doctor looks at the twelfth and he's like, so you, I become you? And it's a line that's just delivered quite nicely and warmly and cheekily by Capaldi and he goes, um, well, there's a few false starts, but you get there in the end. <laughs> and it's just like, that's, that's a nice little multi-doctor story kind of line. That was nice. Yes. Oh, mince. Uh, Luke says, Twice Upon a Time was pretty good, but a little fan service I did watch it on Christmas at my grandparents' house with my who-hating grandparents, so it may be a tad biased. My who-hating grandparents? That um, sounds like a show in itself. Or a country album. Shutting down my who-hating grandparents. Are your, pe- are your parents both the Grinch? The Grinch. That was, a, that was, a, that was, a, that was, a, that was some lateral thinking. That was, that was, that was a way home. Yeah, yeah. On the way home, guys, uh, that's going to hit you. You'll be like, oh yeah. Uh, uh, Cindy Lou Who, of course. Uh, uh, uh. Uh, it was fan service, but in all the wrong ways. Like, he, he thinks he's being really smart of going, oh, look, I called back to this. And people are like, yeah, but that was a bit shit. So yeah. why bother? Anyway. Um, Callum. Taylor Momsen played uh, Cindy Lou Who. Let's not talk about it. She's a rock singer. Strong uh, word. She's a rock person in a band. She's in a band and dress is kind of gothy. You Make Me Want to Die is a good song. Callum says... <laughs> I thought Twice Upon a Time served as a nice epilogue to the Capaldi era. Yeah, log is the appropriate word. Personally, I think it's more of an epitaph. Oh! Um, it wasn't the best episode ever, but it was good. Okay, there may not have been much of a plot in the sense of the supposed villain turning out to be not an actual villain, but I didn't really mind that. It's not what the episode was about. It was supposed to be about 12 coming to terms with the imminent death of his current body and deciding whether he wants to carry on with a new one. And that, I think it did well. It was improved by the addition of David Bradley's rendition of the first Doctor, who was facing the same sort of situation, but also completely different, as he had never experienced with narration. <coughs> Apart from some questionable dialogue, uh, Bradley did brilliantly with what he was given, and there wasn't one moment where I doubted that he was the first Doctor. Him and Twelve worked brilliantly together, and the contrast of both their dilemmas regarding regenerating worked so well. I must also mention how they intertwined David Bradley's first and last scenes with the ep- in the episode with uh, William Hartnell's original version. It was so satisfying to watch and fitted perfectly with The Tenth Planet, which I'd watched for the first time just a few days before in preparation. Capaldi was on form as always in this episode, and I could really tell he was putting everything he had into this final story. I was nervous about the decision to bring Bill back, particularly because of Moffat's track record with bringing companions back after they leave. Uh, She was great, though, and I'm glad it didn't mess with her ending in Series 10 as a version of her and the episode wasn't the real one. We've covered why it does. <coughs> anyway, um, of course, of course, Clara also returned, which I didn't mind, apart from the terrible CGI. It was nice for the Doctor to get his memories of her back because I think that was a big mistake originally. Someone that also returned that I was pleased to see was Nardo. Everyone loves Nardo. Um, I thought it was only right that he returned if Bill did, and I was glad that they could all have one last cuddle. Um, that was a sweet moment. Yeah, it was a sweet moment. Like, just before he's possibly going to die or regenerate, they give yeah. him one little hug from his friends, and then off they go. <clears throat> um, a highlight for me that I didn't expect was the inclusion of lots of old Murray Gold tracks. It seemed fitting for him to showcase some of his yeah. best work. Seeing this was also his last step. Considering most of it was variations of the Doctor's theme, both the Doctor version and the Rose version yeah. from Series 1. Now... It annoyed me because I was just like, well, this just makes me want to watch series one again, which is, to be honest, my third waking thought every day anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, do I need a shit? Should I brush my teeth now or after a brew? Should I, I watch series rolls? one? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but so, as, as like, says, I was really surprised at how well it worked, particularly with the use of 2005's The Doctor's Theme in Jodie's first scene. Was that, um, do you think, Murray's way 
of saying, here's me bookending my era. Possibly. Because this is the last Murray uh, Gold uh, story. Yeah, it depends how much freedom he has in scoring it, but it also might have been a request from... Friend. There's been a lot of recycled sure, music in yeah. the last couple of series, so I wouldn't be surprised if it was like, you're not paying me enough to score this entire thing. However, I've got some I'd recommend you using this, 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 and this. Hmm. Yeah. Um, before I talk about Jody's first scene, though, I've got to praise Capaldi in his last scene. Even though I found myself getting more emotional over world enough in time, slash the Doctor Falls, Capaldi's final scene in Twice Upon a Time was so full of heart, and it really felt like Capaldi saying goodbye. Which is what I feel every generation should be like. I think if it, I hadn't been watching it with my family, I would have cried a lot more. Hmm. Fair enough. Okay. It gets you in the feels, man. It gets you in the feels. I mean, it gets you in them feels, fam. I honestly wish I was in that position where I could feel that strongly about this era of Doctor Who, as I'm sure so many people do, because I'm sure for, for quite a few people out there, Capaldi's their Doctor. Yeah, but that's it's cool. Just, it's just been right. so far removed from what I've enjoyed about this show that I haven't been able to get that that feeling to it. So I'm glad I'm glad you connected with it like that. That's really cool, man. Um, so, Joey's first scene, wow. It was utterly incredible and so different to anything we've seen before in terms of how it was shot. Uh, yeah, um, I can't, I can't disagree yeah. with that part. Yeah, absolutely. I, I yeah. Didn't it was, hate it the looked, framing of it. Like, I it looked different. I get that you and, 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 uh, and Tom had issues with it, but I, I, I liked it. Um, it could not have done any more to get me excited for Series 11. As much as I'm sad to see the Capaldi era and the Stephen Moffat era come to a close, I need Series 11. No. So yeah, that's the that's the thoughts that you emailed us uh, about about uh, twice upon a time. Some some uh, yeah some yeah. some opinions and some opinions. a nice range actually. I think I'm glad that some of you dug it. Like I, again, we've we've said it, we say it time and again on this show. Like mm. we don't want to hate stuff, but if we think it's bad, we think it's bad. But at the same time, like if you dig it, then Awesome. Power to you guys. Because like, yeah. yeah, people enjoying stuff is good, and um, we're glad you enjoyed it. It just didn't, it didn't work for us. Um, few got a few shorthand yeah. versions me, over on the on the Twitter sphere. Hit me with some tweets. Hit me with your tweet shot. Uh, if you of course want to tweet us, guys, you can at Big Damn Cast. Um, Connor Thompson. No tweets. No subtweets, fam. Uh, Connor Thompson says, A mixed bag. I enjoyed it for the most part, but it, I wasn't keen on the first Doctor's sexist jokes. I thought the 12th Doctor's regeneration scene was a bit shaky. I thought he was talking about his roses he got in Christmas, didn't he? Giggity. But Capaldi and Bradley <laughs> both turned in... the ones except me. <laughs> but Capaldi and Bradley both turned in stellar performances. And it certainly wasn't the worst Christmas special. I think I agree there. I think the worst one is still Doctor Wood on the wardrobe. Yeah, because it's just a mess, isn't it? And then probably... Husband's a River Song? Husband's a River Song. No, because there's bits in that I like. Last Christmas? Last Christmas, yeah. I think that's the next it's worst one. shit, isn't it? Then probably Return of Doctor Mysterio. Because, again, that's another thing. That's fine. Right, right, right. It's fine, though, It's isn't fine, it? but, like, Husband's River Song is annoying, but it's at least got, like, the ten sitting down at the dinner with the exchange yeah. scene, and Greg Davies screaming as a severed head is kind of fun. Yeah. Um, although, weirdly, do you notice Harmony Shoal? Do you remember them? The villains that were set up in those two Christmas specials? And then oh, completely yeah. forgotten about? Yeah. Oh, yeah! Yeah. Had nothing to do with series 10, but were teased at the end of Return of Doctor Mysterio. I was like, a, oh, you'll see them again. And then they never came back. Fucking hell. Okay. Um, uh, so there was that. Katha, um, uh, aka CJMM Models, 
says, like a lot okay. of Capaldi episodes, I liked it on first viewing, but don't feel compelled to rewatch it for fear of finding more problems. I think it's because I really like Capaldi as the Doctor. His regeneration was nice enough, but the sexist, more Hurnall-esque first Doctor came we came too close to ruining the whole episode for me. Yeah. Moffat yeah. said recently that he really liked the five Doctors, and I think that maybe his first Doctor was influenced by that one. Quite excited for Series 11. I trust Chibnall with a female Doctor much more than I would Moffat. A fucking men. Yeah. Like, whether or not the series will be good, I still am glad that it is not Moffat at the helm with a yeah. female Doctor in the I role. Mean, Chibnall's written some crap. <laughs> Let's be honest. But he also but, wrote Series 1 and the bits of Series 2 that everyone likes at Broadchurch. And he's also, yeah, he's written some, he has written some great stuff. He, he wrote the first great. 40 minutes of The Power of Three. He's got... <laughs> He also wrote the final five minutes, but let's forget that. He's got a much more mixed um, body of work than I would say Mm. Stephen Moffat had before he took over Doctor Who. Yeah. Like, I like pretty much everything Stephen Moffat did up until he took over Doctor Who. And then after that, it's just like maybe a few episodes of Doctor Who. Yeah. And probably an episode from Series 2 of Sherlock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Um, So... Uh, Charlie with a Y says, I didn't like it a huge amount on first watch, but rewatching, I really liked it. Fun at the start, very emotional at the end. Gatiss is incredible, best part of the episode, and the World War One armistice made me have a lump in my throat. That was re- that was actually a really nice moment. That was it, lovely. It, it, it was it, very it well lost done. Lost in the malaise of <clears throat> bollocks, bollocks and time and travel it, and bullshit. It, it kind of yeah. gets it gets messed up by the salute moment and the Lethbridge Stewart bomb drop. Yeah. Um, oh, could pick better words there. <laughs> it's the armistice no bombs were dropped that's the armistice um, but yeah it, that, that, that moment in itself was quite nice it made me think why hasn't Doctor Who done this for Christmas before why didn't we make this an episode yeah why didn't why isn't that the episode wouldn't it have fit wonderfully in the 60s era Would you I can imagine been? a Hartnell story with that happening yeah um, oh, twice upon yeah. according to the Primeval podcast Twice upon. I wonder what they talk about in their podcast. <laughs> uh, the Primeval Podcast. Ancient history. Yeah, if you oh, if you want to hit them up, T Primeval P on Twitter. Twice upon a meh was great, but meh in certain areas. But I love the way Jodie's first scene was written. Um, I mean, it was two words, but fair enough. I'm it glad was, you enjoyed it, it. It was meh, and the atmos- great. The atmosphere of that scene, but and meh. we we now have two more regenerations to add to the growing list we've had this decade. It's good that we have a return to the good old morph effect. Um. We it did, was mess. We but great, yeah. but meh. I think the reason why the the morph happened for Capaldi into Jody the way it did was for two reasons. One, it would have been ten times more effective had we not known who'd been cast, because seeing his eyes change into her eyes would have been like, oh, what? But also, I think it was also to do the bookend thing. What was the first shot we saw of him in the show? It was his eyebrows. Yeah, it was his eyebrows in yeah. Day of the Doctor. So the last thing we see of him is his eyebrows. Um, yeah, I just wish that they'd stop saying that all the Doctors regenerate with the big glowy orange thing, because they don't. I mean, even even in this era, they tried to shake it up with 11 into 12. Yeah. They tried to shake it up so it was like a mini explosion, which is great. Go back to the old series way of it being different every time. That's much more interesting. But no. <clears throat> no. And can when Jodie's Doctor um, regenerates, yes. hopefully, if the scripts are good, Hopefully not for at least four years. Yes, please. Um, when Jodie's Doctor regenerates, can her Doctor just accept it? Like 90% of the Doctors before did. Yeah. <laughs> it's the a end. A tear, Sarah Jane. No, don't cry. While there's life, there's... Eh. 
it's the end, but the moment has been prepared for. Yep. And though though Davison's fighting it back, he still sort of he goes over and then sits up. And the sixth doctor's not like, no, no, God, he's just immediately like, okay, it's me now. Hi guys, this is how it works. You know, you were fantastic, absolutely fantastic. And do you know what? So was I. Like, can we just have some more of that, please? That'd be nice. I mean, fuck, even the Eighth Doctor, who does it reluctantly, is like, I guess it's time for me to die. <laughs> I, don't know, I, don't know. I can't remember if I said this before, but I was thinking it, and I don't know if I got the chance to say it. Yeah. Because I've forgotten. But, can we go, can we move, step back away from the Doctor being this legendary mythical figure known throughout space and time as and can she just be hero. A, a, a daft lady with, yeah. a, with a box that travels she in time just be a weirdo in a box who finds herself yeah. in odd places and does and, and helps out where she can yes like, can we have that yes please I saw an argument on Twitter for it saying that um, the doctor should always be a scientist first and an adventurer second in regards to the previous one in the, the recent episode and I disagree I think the doctor started out as a scientist first but I think as the Doctor has grown and developed as a character, he, now she, is like, no, do you know what? Fuck it, I want to help out. Yeah, I'm definitely going to help she's, out. She should be a, yeah. an adventurer. Yeah. Um, but not in a, like... But not in a... Well, she's, she's not a mythical hero. <clears throat> no, no. Get rid of the oncoming story. Like, that worked for Series 1 perfectly. Um, get rid of all that stuff. Get rid of... And with the Daleks, it made sense. But then expanding mm. that out into the rest of the show's mythology was just like a bit... Oh, well... Again, if you've not watched it, H-Bomber Guy on YouTube, there's a video called Sherlock is Garbage and Here's Why. It's an hour and 40 minute video essay about the writing uh, techniques and style and evolution of Stephen Moffat. Um, Sherlock is obviously its its main target toward the end of the video, especially specifically the last hour. But the beginning focuses on coupling Jekyll, his pre-showrunner Doctor Who days and his Doctor Who showrunner days, and there's a lot of, um, of he talks about how like when Moffat took over the show that was a show starring the Doctor became a show about the Doctor. Yeah, uh, and it's like, oh yeah, you're right, it does. Yeah, like every major character in the Doctor's life from Matt Smith's first series is a major character in his life because they were created to assassinate him, or they're in love with him, or like they're obsessed with him. Or he's part of a prophecy and they're following up with it. And it's like, what the hell? Can they not just be people he meets? I think that's why Frank Skinner's character was so refreshing yeah. in Mummy the Orient Express. He was just a bloke who he got on with and was fun to be around and would have been lovely had they taken him on board the TARDIS. We'd not seen him for a few episodes. Then just popped out in one episode, like, making it, a brew. Because like so you'd be like, wait, those, what the hell? <laughs> like so many of those Robert Holmes characters mm. that were one-offs that were just fucking great and memorable. Yeah. So the, home, the Holmesian double act. So yeah. you'd just be like two characters who are just in a story together or sort of yeah. a very I mean, the main distinct kind of personality. those yeah. characters and the Frank Skinner characters, the Frank Skinner hasn't had a big finished series yet. But... Yet. <laughs> I think he's appeared in another story though. Uh, probably. I'm sure he yeah, is. He's like a Churchill yeah. boxer or something. Uh, but because, yeah, I mean, you know, reasons. Jake. We've got to have but, money. But characters like Shockeye and, and, and Jago oh, and Lightfoot yeah. and, and all that. So, like... Those wonderful one-off characters that are just very grounded, especially in in the older series where you didn't get as much backstory and exposition. Yeah, like, but they were very much characters that existed in that world. They're people real. you met in those timelines yeah. and those those planets. And even the modern series for the first four or five years, 
has a fair share of good yeah. ones. I mean, you're not going to, as much as people, you know, deride Love and Monsters, you're not going to forget Elton. You're certainly I not going to... fucking could. <laughs> but you're not going to forget, you're not going to forget, like, Linda with a Y from Part of the Ways, Bad Wolf. Linda with a Y! Yeah. Bloody Linda with a Y. Yeah. Oh, no! I know. You're not going to bloody forget, um, what's it? Uh, Harriet Jones, MP for Flydale North anytime yes, soon. Yes, we know who you are! Yeah. <laughs> Harriet Jones, Prime Minister. We know who you are! Yeah. Um, like, you know, there are characters that don't drop away. I mean, even the little ones who don't have, like, big name roles. You remember them just because they're little moments. Like, Boomtown, um, Margaret Blaine's secretary, the, the one who's like, uh, she's not able to take uh, a meeting with you at the moment, but if you... You'd like to reschedule. She's climbing out the window, isn't she? The journalist. Yes, she, yes, she is. The journalist that she talks to at the beginning. Yeah, of the like these characters who appear for like one scene or like have a couple lines. It's what it's what I call after after watching the movie Bob really that good on Spider Man and Spider Man Two. Yeah. It's what I call the the the, the Raimi Spider Man effect, where you just have these people who might have a line, but you never forget it because it's such a fun little distinct line. He stinks, and I don't like him. And go with hands. <laughs> Sounds hot. He yes, Lucy Lawless. Shoots up his arms. Is that who it is? Yeah. Seriously? Holy shit! Did you not know that? I fancy her even more now. I think he's uncredited. I but... fancy her even more now. Yeah, like, right. gothic Lucy Lawless. Yeah. Um, he throws up his hands and, and he climbs up the ropes and the, the ropes come out of his hands like a spider's whip. Like, you just, you remember this stuff. You know <laughs> I love mean? this night of a movie so, so good. good. It's so good. It's so oh, freaking good. man. <laughs> yeah, now, like, playing that clip in my head, that's her. I can hear her voice. Yeah. Oh my god! So it was a freaking Xena reference. Yeah, uh, I don't know if it's a Xena reference. I think. Well, just... it, it, it's the it's the it's the Raimi legacy thing, isn't it? Because obviously Bruce Campbell and Lucy Lawless. I think I think film. Lucy Lawless sold him a favour. Oh, that's awesome! That's freaking <laughs> awesome. Um, you still need to watch more. You still need to watch Ash vs Evil Dead, mate. Simply, I do. Simply because the Ash. main characters for series two, like two of your central four-player cast are Bruce Campbell and Lucy Lawless. You need to watch it, man. I like Lucy Lawless. So right. good. I was so disappointed when she, when she turned up in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then it was in one episode. Hey, Xena can't fly. I'm not Xena. I'm Lucy Lawless. Oh. Yes. <laughs> you know, we've got that in the yes. living room. Have you seen it? The Simpsons Lucy Lawless action figure. <laughs> it's in the living room. We've got Lucy Lawless and Weird Al. Yeah. Didn't know you had but it. on the packaging, she's she's just like Xena. She's got like the you know, the discus, but on the packaging, she's Lucy Lawless because that's who she is. Oh, it's man. not it's not Xena. <laughs> like the collector didn't kidnap Xena. He put Lucy Lawless in his museum. Yeah, Lucy um, Lawless credited as punk rock girl. There we go. Oh wow. Um, well, that's giving me a mental image that I'm never going to shake off. Let's let's polish up the last of these non-Doctor Who related emails. Let's um, ruddy well do. Well, there is some just Doctor that. Who relations because the first one is in from Harry. He emailed us a while back talking about the uh, <clears throat> Lemmy Stewart uh, short story that he'd written. Was yes, oh, yes. But didn't tell us what the book was. Oh! Uh, he says, Forgot to mention which Lethby Stewart book featured me little tale, The Cruel Oil, as you rightly pointed out in the previous podcast. Uh, well, previous book three. Yeah, I think it was um, before I went to think it, wasn't it? Uh, no, it wasn't. It was when we were on Skype. Ah, um, yes. Tis the Havoc Files 4. Havoc now Files published 4. Uh, as of the 10th of the 21st with the lovely unit emblem. Sorry about the incomplete plug slash the plug itself. No, plug away, but... Um, plug away, sir. Yeah. Like, if it's something, that's, it's something that you think our listeners would enjoy, like, let them know about it. Uh, Especially if it's something you've written yourself. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, tell you what, tweet us, mate. 
tweet us, tweet us and we'll do a retweet. If you tweet the link to um, us for the for the book, we'll put the word we'll out. Retweet to all five of our followers. And we'll um, expect uh, 0.00000002% 0. of the sales. Nope. Uh, <laughs> P.S. How luscious was that Miles Morales Spider-Man trailer? <gasps> yeah, now we yeah. talked about that a, f- yeah. a few episodes ago. It was but, lovely. Oh, it's gorgeous. I've rewatched that about six or seven times. It's beautiful. Deviant. Because it's sexy. You're a deviant. It's such a beautiful trailer. The animation um, style is gorgeous. Jacob. <clears throat> Jacob. Um, before I go. Jacob. This is picking up from his uh, previous email about the Doctor Who thoughts. Uh, what are your thoughts on Dirk Gently's holistic detective agency being cancelled? Uh, personally, I was very surprised and upset. It was going to be one of my favourite TV shows. Well, viewing figures, isn't it, mate? BBC America, it wasn't getting the viewing figures it needed. It's done well on Netflix uh, in other territories. Yeah. But Netflix ain't making it. Um, and I suspect that... Um, based on what's going to happen on recent yeah. events, we're probably not going to see it again. I mean, it's possible that things aren't all doom and gloom, hopefully, although it seems like a very slim chance based on the person in question. But I think they're going to need a new showrunner. Because... If they do. I mean, I, 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 I would suggest keep it around and work with the current script yeah. writers. Yeah. I feel like... Let's just fucking name names. I feel like Max Landis's career mm. is going to take a shit, a sudden and downturn mm. in light of things that have uh, been As, said uh, recently. At least in terms as well of him being like a figurehead showrunner yeah. character. And also bright as shit. <laughs> it's really bad. Um, maybe we'll cover that in on something. Or we'll... I ain't watching it. Oh, man. <laughs> I might strap you down and make you watch Do you it. big damn hate it? <sighs> Do you big damn hate it? Yeah. Um, uh, lastly, uh, we'll pick up the rest of, of Luke's email after his thoughts on uh, First Part of Time. He says, I spent way too much time watching movies over Christmas. Here's a selection that I'd love to hear your opinions on. Okay. Dude, where's my car? Never seen it. Little to no opinion. Um, <laughs> a Fish Called Wanda. Uh, enjoy it. Yeah, quite a lot. Pretty good. Yeah, um, uh, Michael um, Palin is fucking wonderful in it, and is the most sort of like least talked about element in it. Weirdly, but yeah. he's just—it's such a tragic, odd character. Uh, Love actually, hate it. Um, I'll be honest. I think it's really sickly gross. I think it's tacky. And there's that wonderful essay that was written about the, on, it about on, five on years Jezebel. ago. I was just about to say that. Yeah. yeah, go look up the article uh, that was posted about Love Actually and and how it was ruined, but. Uh, on, it was published on Jezebel a few years back. Yeah, and, it's um, amazing. It's amazing. It's like a sit down and brace yourself for a 20 minute read kind of article. And it's funny. And it picks apart everything that falls apart about that movie. And yeah. the just inherent use of cliche and mm. like stereotypes and <clears> just <throat> lazy, lazy lazy writing which is that, which apparently is sacrilegious to say about Richard Curtis but well that being said fuck it that being said actually is bad that being said I don't hate Richard Curtis no I just no. don't I really don't no. like love actually but, like, but it is it, yeah it is one why of is he not written can. another Doctor Who Vincent mm, and the Doctor was great it was good now's um, the time clean slate new tone to the show now's the time Chibnall I know he's trying to spend less money give Curtis a call let, let him do becomes one becomes her uh, you know, I haven't watched this since I was about 14. I remember thinking it was wonderfully dark. I really like that movie. Cause it, who is it? It's Meryl great. Streep. Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Goldie Hawn. And Bruce Willis. And Bruce so still gives good. a damn about this as a career Willis it's at the time. so good. Some of the practical effects are wonderful in Bruce that. Willis used to be in comedies all the time. Mm. And he used to be really good at them. Mm. When was but, the last time he did, he's done an, he did a comedy? 
Are we talking the Sky Broadband ads? When was the last time he did a good comedy? <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, they're all right. Um, it might have been Death Becomes Her. <laughs> might have been, yeah. Oh, Christ. Um, Oof. About Time. I've still not seen that. I hear it's really good, though. Which was that one? Uh, Donald Gleeson, um, Can Travel in Time. Another Rich Kurd movie. Oh! The one with him and, 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 and uh, yeah, and, and Bill Nye. Yeah. I remember seeing the trailers and be like, I want to watch that, and I never did. I want to check that out. Yeah, apparently it's, it's, it's really, really good, but yeah, as you know, Richard Curtis will pull on your heartstrings and make you cry. Um, the World's End. Well, oh, the, uh, Connetto trilogy movie. I still haven't seen The Fucking World's End. Fucking love it. It might, I... it might be the best of the three on a technical level. Every time I see like, it, it, it's everybody involved knows. 100% what they're doing by now. It's not the best. Hot Fuzz is the best. Shaun of the Dead, I think, is the most enjoyable. Um, but there's something about The World's End that I will always defend it because people always go, oh, it's not as good one. It's like, fuck you. I've not seen it's it. It's amazing. And I, and I regret not having seen it. Well, we're having a movie night. Okay. <laughs> um, also, confirmation that he- the Heather's film is related to the Heather's musical. It's the same. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and it recommends both. I've um, heard I've heard the words Heather's the musical more times than I ever thought I would this last month, and I never thought it'd make it into the podcast, but it did twice now. <laughs> um, also, a <laughs> confession that um, he has a crush on Kendra Timmons from Winging It, which was which he was reminded of by our reference to it a few episodes back. Obscure um, Canadian British co-production TV shows. Also, a little plug from Luke: his film podcast, Please Be Seated, is apparently going well. Um, that's a good so name yeah, good name give it a watch I think he said his next one up is Spinal Tap uh, with a special guest who I've lost the email so I can't remember what, what the special guest was but yes uh, please be seated uh, give, it a, give it a listen give it a check um, out by Jingo also can you recommend any good comedies oh what like TV shows doesn't say I'm assuming movies from the um, <laughs> from for, for the podcast Okay. Uh, oh, oh, right. So if you're picking a film, I don't know. Um, I'd recommend doing, but space them out. Uh, spaced pun. Doing the Cornetto trilogy. Yeah. yeah. Um, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and World's End. Absolutely. Um, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one, but maybe save it to near a Christmas. Yeah. Oh, I love Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. It's so. It is so, so good. good. Uh, oh God, what other big comedy movies would I recommend? I'm. I see. I'm really. I'm really dodgy with comedy. I, I, there's a lot of stuff that people find fucking hilarious that I do not. Just do you know what I rewatched like. last week? Actually, while I was packing, what's that? Ace Ventura: Pet Detective. How does it hold up? Some of the transgender stuff is dodgy, but to be fair, I would say all the, of the transgender. Oh no, stuff no, no, is no, dodgy. no! But I mean, I mean, in terms of the execution. But to be fair, all the characters discussing the stuff aren't nice people. Like they don't make a thing of it being like. Hi, we're the lovely nice people that you're meant to like and relate to and think yeah, are nice people, sure. and we're making horrible comments about like, do you know what I mean? It's it's and also there's there's no confirmation about a character. Basically, without giving too much away, there is a character who is sort of like halfway through, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, gender, gender reassignment. Um, but it, and it, they it, are they, they but but the character it, it's implied never explicitly said that the character is doing it as part of a disguise, not because it's an identity thing or something about them personally that they want to change. And, and the characters that react to it, react to it in like a ooh kind of way, but including Ace Ventura, but 
Ace Ventura and these characters are not people you're meant to like. You're not meant to like it. You're meant to find him entertaining, but he's clearly a dickhead. But also the visual gag makes no sense. What, the tuck? Yeah. I don't know. Did you see the Celebrity Big Brother entrance? Like, it, you can fold it really far underneath. Mm. Someone in Celebrity Big Brother tripped over and revealed her crotch area and where everything was tucked. And it was very far around. So, yes. maybe it's doable. All I know is, is if you can get past some early 90s not-as-wokeness yeah. uh, on one particular thing, it's wonderfully dark. I'd forgotten how dark that first one is. Because like, it it's dressed as a silly comedy. Yeah, yeah. But the stakes are real. Like, the stakes are very much real in terms of, like, guns and people being threatened and, and everything. And it's like, okay... Um, but it's just fascinating to, in fact, there you go. Here's a recommendation for you. Sit down and do three episodes at some point where you are studying Carrie of 94. Watch Ace Ventura Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. Because that's the year that he became the biggest name on the planet. And it was those three movies that did it. I have a suspicion that Dumb and Dumber has aged very poorly. You know, yes, but it's still also the best movie the Farleys have ever made. And has an amazing soundtrack. Um, <laughs> so you recorded a, a, a channel intro for Luke at the attic. Yes. His friends become obsessed with it. Right. And he'd appreciate it if you read it on the show. We don't know why, but apparently it'd be funny. Because this guy just keeps rewatching <clears throat> your intro and repeating, gaze upon his face. But, I mean, I do that. Mm. Anyway, like I, 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 when I'm, I'm in the room with you, I just sort of sit across in the microphone and just go. Okay. So the request is from your wacky friend. Like the request is, uh, the friend who keeps staring at a video of me on repeat and going gaze upon his face. The request is to repeat verbatim something that I said to you in Cardiff. Six, seven months ago ish, that he can and apparently does watch in its entirety on a loop anytime he likes. Okay, <clears throat> right. <clears throat> Luke's friend, if you come anywhere near me, <laughs> I will be phoning the authorities. Stay very far away. Gaze upon only my digital face. And get the help you need. I don't know if that was exactly word for word, but I feel it was what needed to be said. Fair enough. <laughs> um, on a serious note. Wait, that wasn't um, serious? <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends if you want to get the authorities involved. Um, on a serious oh, note. Yep. Gosh. The aforementioned attic, the uh, the Sarah Jane Adventure celebration. Yes, yeah, Sarah Jane celebration, ten years. Do you happen to know anything about the DVD for it? Uh, there's no con- uh, Luke can't find a contact for them, and the website hasn't been updated since September. Yeah, I haven't heard much myself either. I'm afraid. And this took me from one, but this was also a charity <coughs> thing. It was yeah, go, the proceeds were going to go to. Yeah, I, I can't recall if the DVD was a complete purchase for charity as well. I I I did donate some money, but I believe I was receiving my copy of the DVD gratis for, for hosting the event. Yeah. Um, but I, I donated some money on the day because uh, I felt a bit tight if I didn't at least do that in exchange for, you know, the DVD. Um, 
I, I've not heard anything myself since I believe it was September when they closed their store. That was where they finished auctioning off all the props that they still had and signed things that were handed in okay. by actors since the event. Um, and as the site hasn't been updated, and I think the Twitter itself hasn't been updated, I, I'm not sure myself. Uh, considering it was charity work through Tai Hafan, I doubt there is anything dodgy going on. It's entirely possible that because it was a team of three or four people who were doing it in their own time and organising it completely themselves, it's possible that just it's a difficult thing to assign and get sorted in the time. Um, it these might be, it things, might be that these things take time. Yeah, it might be that whoever's editing it um, couldn't do it as quickly as they promised or thought they could. So who knows? But if if I find out something that isn't publicly announced, I I will take to Twitter and let people know. Yes, because um, I quite like to watch some back some of the footage of that day, and all for a good cause. Yes. Oh yeah. Speaking of good causes, if you would like to donate content to Two Boys in Need, then all you have to do is email bigdamncontact at gmail.com. That's bigdamncontact G- at gmail.com. C-O-M. Sorry, what? They will take donations in either tiny little tubs or in the form of textual content. Uh, if there are any pop culture stories you'd like those two boys to discuss, then please feed them your whims and desires. You can also catch them on Twitter at, at Big Damn Cast. That's <laughs> at Big Damn Cast. Um, join us next week when we'll be tickled by three rhinos. I have literally no idea what we're doing this in a week. queue at the DMV. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, my uh, dears. Uh, I, I would say that's the weirdest thing you've ever said, but I've known you for too long. <laughs> <laughs>